0: Hello and welcome back to the What The Fab podcast. We're on episode 63. We have a fire interview for you today. I will get all into the story in the episode of why I was searching for someone who's an expert in burnout to speak with, but I found someone fantastic and her name is Emily Belesteros. We had an awesome conversation. I feel like I had like Five aha moments <laughs> during this conversation and just like really interesting self-reflections. She shares some great advice, very tangible tips for identifying and dealing with burnout and kind of more of a concept around personal care rather than self-care, which can kind of be thought of as like bubble baths and skincare, but going well beyond that. She shares some really interesting concepts. I love the one she talks about with, it's almost kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but it's for your personal care. She is such a wealth of knowledge, and I think you are really going to love this conversation with Emily. Before we dive into the episode, quick reminder to please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. It helps me grow the show. It helps me get some feedback and ideas for what you guys are enjoying. And then don't forget to to hit subscribe through whatever platform it is that you're listening through, and then you'll get these episodes queued up and ready to go for you each and every week. All right, let's get into this conversation with Emily. We go all into the topic of burnout, what it can manifest itself as, how to deal with it, whether you're in a corporate environment or an entrepreneur. She just shares such great advice and insights. So with that, let's get into this convo with Emily. Emily Ballesteros is a burnout management coach. While receiving her master's in industrial organization psychology and working in corporate training and development, Emily experienced two years of exhausting burnout. She couldn't find comprehensive training or burnout management anywhere, regardless of witnessing the lack of work life balance among a variety of peers in different industries. Combining her personal and professional experience, Emily has created a variety of products and services to address this gap. I am so excited to welcome Emily to the What The Fab podcast. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for being willing to talk about burnout.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes, definitely. So I mentioned this when we were DMing, but just kind of a little backstory for listeners. Last year, I think it was maybe around this time, it was, I think it was like in the springtime, I was just feeling kind of burnt out. And I think it was the first time that I had experienced that while I had been working for myself and doing what the fab full time. So I was kind of like, at first I was like, I didn't really want to acknowledge that I was feeling burnout because I'm like, I love my business and I love being an entrepreneur. Like, how can I be burnout? But eventually I was like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm like definitely in a funk. And I just kind of off the cuff posted about it on my stories and did a poll asking my followers, like, are you feeling the same way too? And the options were like, yes, girl. And like, no, I'm good. 100% of people that responded to that poll said, yes, I'm feeling the same way. Like, I expected a lot of people to be like, yeah, I am too. I did not expect 100%. Like, really, none of you felt good enough to be like, no, I'm good. (laughs) Like, that was shocking to me. And so after that, I was like, okay, clearly this is a topic that. I need to talk about and would be helpful for listeners. I didn't really know where to start, but I just kind of like hopped on Instagram and was searching for like burnout, burnout management. And that was how I found your profile and have been following you ever since and just really, really enjoying your content and your tips. And so I'm really excited to chat with you today. And I thought we could just kind of start sort of broad, and I would love to hear from you, what are some signs that someone is experiencing burnout?
1: Yeah. You said so many great things that if you see me looking down, I'm just writing notes because I want to address what you said because it's such a universal experience to feel like I shouldn't even be burned out or like I have to deserve or earn burnout. Get to a place where it's bad enough I should be grateful. Like other people have it worse, and then people do wait for it to get bad enough, and we can talk about what bad enough looks like later. But some signs of burnout are there can be. World Health Organization clinical signs of burnout like constant exhaustion, trouble sleeping, change in appetite or intake of alcohol or drugs. It can be anxiety, anxiety on Sundays or before starting work, feeling resting guilt. So never fully being able to rest, bracing thoughts, a whole slew of different kind of internal, external signs and symptoms. And then there are also more personal signs of burnout that you might catch before you catch something like pessimism, cynicism, those kinds of signs. And those are things like when you notice you're ordering more food online or ordering more Items online, or your sleeping patterns are super messed up because you're doing mid or what is it called? Nighttime procrastination, bedtime procrastination, where you're on your phone late at night because it feels like that's the only time you have to yourself, where somebody's not expecting something of you. Or maybe, like, I know my comfort food is top ramen. If I'm eating top ramen two days in a row, that's usually a sign to me that I'm not in the greatest shape. Or, like, if I sit down in the shower, that's a code red situation and somebody (laughs) needs to do a wellness check. So, there's going to be those clinical signs that you can find lists of, but there's also going to be those personal signs that you will probably notice first if you know what to look for.
0: Okay. I definitely (laughs) related to several of those, like the not being able to rest and feeling like you always have to be productive and feeling guilty when you do rest. Like that really resonated for me in your experience, or maybe from any data that you've seen, are there certain groups of people that are more likely to experience burnout? Like whether it's, gender, age ranges, people in corporate environments versus entrepreneurs, people of color, like any patterns that you've noticed?
1: There are so many patterns and every single one of those different groups that you named, there'll be some kind of influence on whether or not they experience burnout more frequently or if they experience a certain type of burnout. But the categories that I usually give that kind of umbrella, all of those categories is people who identify as high achievers, or people pleasers, because those can be found in every single one of those categories. And a lot of it, burnout comes down to how you run yourself. So how you manage yourself. And you can have maybe two women who are very busy professionally, and then they're also mothers. And if one of them is a people pleaser, and one of them is not, like the people person who is not is just cutthroat about saying no to everything that doesn't suit their lifestyle. They maintain low stress. They just have a lot of peace and their priority is peace. And if something compromises that, they don't engage with it, versus having a woman in that category who is a people pleaser, maybe says yes to everything that comes up, they feel really guilty when they don't get to something, they put excess pressure on themselves about what their life should look like, and that kind of dips into the high achiever, then that person's way more likely to burn out. It comes a lot from how we manage ourselves as opposed to... I mean, there are definitely certain demographics that will experience different types of burnout, but those two umbrellas are helpful to look at.
0: Oh, that was so good, Emily. (laughs) I'm
1: like already like,
0: oh, damn, like that hits because I'm sure there are tons of like potential external factors that can create burnout. But like at the end of the day, there are a lot of internal ones. And those are the ones that we have control over. And so before we get into because I like Selfishly and, and also I know this is going to help my audience, but like the main thing I want to get at is like, how the F do we deal with it? (laughs) But before we dive into that, I told you before we hit record, I was like scrolling through your TikTok again, just kind of like getting more ideas for this conversation. And one video that jumped out at me that I was dying to have you talk about is kind of digging into why the 40-hour work week is outdated. I've talked about this a bit on my podcast before. I think I did an episode or maybe it was it was part of a income report episode I did, but I do a four day work week. And that's something that I kind of like experimented with a couple of years ago, and then started getting more into and now I'm like, I need to hold myself to this because I see the benefits so much. But the way that you explained it in your video was so eloquent. So I would love for you to, you know, chat about that a bit.
1: Yeah. So the 40 hour work week, I'm in a ballpark range. It was about, I think, 1926. It was about a hundred years ago that we decided that an eight-hour work week was going to be established because it was eight hours rest, eight hours sleep, and eight hours work. And that worked at the time. And it was just completely different industries that existed at that time. It was popularized, but there were a lot of labor movements that went into getting to even that point. And so since then, We've seen changes in every other area of how we work from it being digital, us not just having a short commute, a lot of people commuting at least an hour a day, not having somebody at home predictably to do a lot of the labor and take care of children. We live completely different lives when this was established. And now that the workforce has changed and what the workspace looks like has changed, we haven't necessarily done the work to Reestablish work from the ground up, what it could look like and what it should look like in today's world. And we have a lot of empty buildings in downtown areas because now companies have gone completely digital. So I think we're seeing that huge shift, but it's also just eight hours feels like a really arbitrary number when you sit down and consider why we're sitting at our desks for eight hours a day when we could do the work in less time or when the workscape just looks so different than it did back when that kind of eight hours was established.
0: Wow, when you explain it like that, it it makes the 40-hour workweek just sound like so archaic. Like, why are we doing this?
1: Yes, no, yes, it definitely does. And I think another point I made in that video is, Back when this was established, a lot of people were working in things like assembly lines. So if you were a part of an assembly line and you stood somewhere and you did something like put tires on cars for eight hours, the time you spent like eight hours standing there doing that thing did approximately predict how much productivity you would have because you were there doing the thing for eight hours, as opposed to now we're doing work that the hour count doesn't necessarily predict your productivity. For a lot of people, they don't need eight hours to do what they're doing, or you get people whose eight hours are stuffed so full that ends up bleeding into the rest of their life. So it's just, again, completely different type of work. So it's wild that we just rolled the eight hours over to suit modern workforces.
0: Right, And the other point that you touched on was like during that time, there typically was the woman at home as like the, the homemaker taking care of all the cooking and the laundry and cleaning and kids. And now a lot of women are in the workforce, but then there's still the cooking and cleaning and laundry and kids. And like, at what point do you fit in time for like self-care and working out and just enjoying yourself? So... It's just really interesting. I have seen, I feel like, more and more companies that are experimenting with a four-day work week. Do you have any suggestions? I mean, four days is also just like a made-up number as well. So for somebody that is in a position where they have flexibility and they can adjust their working schedule, do you have any advice for like how to kind of experiment with that and figure out what would be a reasonable work week for them?
1: Yeah. For me, because I have a lot of freedom and flexibility, this is going to look so different for other people, but I'll speak to my own experience with that first. It's been years that I've been working for myself and I still feel like if it's between the hours of nine to five, I should be working or people expect me to be working and getting back to things immediately. Or I shouldn't post that I'm going to the grocery store or going to the gym because then there'll be this disconnect of this person doesn't struggle the way we're struggling right now because they have the freedom to do these things. And so to want to be a part of the, not necessarily in-group, but to have the same collective experience, I feel like I should be working those hours, especially if those are the people I'm speaking to all the time. But from just a productivity time management standpoint, that's not even the best use of my time. And what I've found works for me is I worked at all hours of the day just to figure out... Well, at one point, because I was burned out, but then just to figure out when my best working hours were. And so now I know... I do a lot of my best work from about 8am to noon. I work best if I work in 30-minute sprints. So I set a timer for 30 minutes and I know exactly what I'm focusing on. Like First thing, I'll usually do all of my emails. And then that's my first 30-minute sprint. And if I have a ton of them, I'll just draft them out. And then in the next sprint, I'll go back and polish them up. I do a lot of editing. I'm working on a book right now. And so I will work for 30 minutes at a time. And then during those breaks, knock on my phone because that's you want to check out, not check in somewhere else. So go get water, walk around. And listen to music and like dance around in my bathroom or something and then go back to it. And then I'm useless in the afternoon and I know that now. And I just had to admit that to myself. Something that I say when I talk about time management is it's better to work for one hour at 100% than for three hours at 30%. And when I know I'm only working at 30%, I'm like, what am I doing? I can just save this for 8 p.m. when I get my second wind, do two more 30-minute sprints, and I know that I will be working so much harder, so much better if I just save it for then. And it's that kind of time management that I wish they taught in school. So I could have done my academic career entirely differently, but just find different times of day and experiment with different amounts of time that you work on certain things, because that does apply to the workplace as well. If regardless of where you're working, it might not apply to like something like nursing where you can't necessarily say, oh, my 30 minute sprint is up. I'll be over here in the corner. But for a lot of people, I would say just experiment with time of day and amount of time that you are working.
0: Okay. That's great. Thank you. You guys, I just discovered newly and had to tell you about it. It's a fashion rental subscription service. So it's basically like Netflix for clothes. I also have a $10 off discount for you, so I'll let you know how to get that in just a sec. So here's how it works. You pick out six pieces of clothing that get shipped right to your home. You wear them for as long as you want, and then when you're done, you send them back in the same packaging it arrived in. There's a return label in there and everything. Super easy. And they have such cute pieces from brands like Anthropologie, Ralph Lauren, Badgley Mishka, Free People just to name a few. And if you fall in love with a piece and you decide you want to keep it, you can buy it at a super discounted rate. Like I'm seeing anywhere from 15 to 70% off the retail price for the pieces that I have at home right now. You also don't have to worry about washing anything or even if you accidentally damage it, you know, you spill some coffee or pop a sequin or two off, newly will take care of it and you won't be charged. Personally, I am feeling a little bit uninspired with my closet and my clothes right now after the pandemic, so Newly has just been a great, affordable, sustainable option for me to have a bunch of new outfits every month and just get excited about dressing up again. You can pause or cancel Newly at any time, and I also have a referral link for you to get $10 off your first month. Just go to whatthefab.com slash newly and newly is spelled N as in Nancy, U-U-L-Y. Enjoy and let's get back to the episode. Okay, let's get into dealing with burnout. So how can we best deal with this and what are the five areas of burnout management?
1: Yeah, so the best way that you can deal with it is First, acknowledging how you currently manage yourself and what you're currently doing. We don't need to get to this point B where it's the same journey for everyone to get to point B. You have to acknowledge where your point A is, and that's going to look different. But in doing that, you're going to look at your mindset, your time management, your stress management, your boundaries, and your personal care. And all of those areas work in tandem to help you create balance and help you address whatever stressors come up. And in each of those five areas, you're going to make slightly different changes depending on you and what you're currently doing and where you'd like to be and the industry that you're in. But those are the five areas that you'll want to look at.
0: Okay, awesome. And you mentioned boundaries. (laughs) Why is it that boundaries are so hard to set for us? Like, I think most of us find it hard to set boundaries, even though we know that they're good for us.
1: Boundaries are hard because from a very young age, we get a lot of messages like, if you do that, what will that person think or say if you you know wear that thing or say that thing or don't do it this way that they suggested? And then professionally, we learn from being in school through being in entry-level positions. And it doesn't really just go away one day, but we learn that obedience is respect and we don't have the right to say no. When you're told to do something, you do it. And one day you become the adult and you have authority, but you don't just realize that and realize, oh, I have the right to say no and like have a limit that I express and that people respect because we're not allowed to have that all through school and into entry-level positions, it feels like. And so that combination of always being aware of so two parts, first knowing and being able to express your limits, and then also feeling like you're responsible for the feelings of those that you are setting those limits with, whether it's personally or professionally and worrying about how you're being perceived. And so you have to, in order to feel comfortable setting boundaries, be really self-aware and not take responsibility for the room that you're in. And instead just take responsibility for yourself and be comfortable and confident in expressing that's just a limit for me. And it's not personal. I don't hate you, but I just don't have that resource to give you right now.
0: Mm. Okay, this question came from a follower and I'm going to make it kind of a two for question because something that you just said also made me think of another area I want to touch on. But the question was, what tools or resources do you recommend to pace yourself during your work? And then I also kind of want to double that with like, any kind of recommendations or advice around kind of setting limits, like you said, in a corporate environment? Because I think that it can feel like you have to say yes to anything that's presented to you. Otherwise, you're like a bad employee. So I used to work at Google, and I mean, the whole structure of, of the performance reviews there was like to squeeze the most out of every employee and it was on a curve and there was like doesn't meet expectations consistently meets expectations exceeds expectations strongly exceeds expectations and if you were doing a good job at your job you got meets expectations which sat, like feels kind of shitty <laughs> like yeah. to be doing a really good job a solid job like, no negative feedback and to get meets expectations. So, like, the goal was always to get exceeds or strongly exceeds. And if you ever wanted to get promoted, you have to be getting those, you know, reviews a couple, at least a few quarters in a row. And the only way to get those exceeds was to take on, like, extra projects outside of your core role.
1: Yeah. Okay, all that is so good. All right, I made notes (laughs) so we can all reach those points. So, first, when it comes to pacing yourself, something that I believe Greg McKeown says, and he has a wonderful book called Essentialism that I highly recommend somebody who wants to do it all reads. And he talks about how You shouldn't do more today than you can recover from tomorrow. And that's where a lot of pacing yourself comes from is I know I get to the end of a work day and I'm so tired. You have a cognitive budget each day, like a, you can only make so many, a decision budget, so many thoughtful decisions and do so much thoughtful work before you're just tapped out mentally and. When you get to that point, I know there's times when I've gotten there and I've thought I have more to do. I should push myself and force myself to do more. Like Last week, I had one day where I worked 12 hours and I knew that it's like this boomerang effect of if I overwork, I'm going to underwork the next day, if not two days, because I burned myself out, did more that day than I could recover from and ended up suffering as a result. So it's knowing yourself well enough and having the discipline, not just to work because we always talk about discipline and doing more. It also takes a lot of discipline to do less, especially if you are a very high achiever and you expect a lot of yourself and feel like there could always be more done. So when pacing yourself, don't do more today than you can recover from by tomorrow. And then as far as setting limits... And it's so hard when they create structures like that in an organization where you're basically being graded again and they want you to strive for something. And for a lot of that, that is kind of manufacturing motivation and making sure that people perform a certain way. If your priority is to get a promotion and that is on the horizon and you know, I only need to work this hard for this long to get to this point then it feels a little bit better because you know there's an end point. If it's constant, if you haven't been satisfied in your career because of the way that things are structured for you know 20 years, then it's kind of stepping back and asking why you're doing it and deciding whether lifestyle and having balance is more important or those accolades are more important. Because for a lot of people, their paycheck doesn't change if they're burning themselves out every week or if they just do an average amount of work. And the most difficult shift there, but really the only shift is a shift in mentality and being okay, being average, which is horrifying for a lot of people. But you meet so many people throughout your career who are just kind of like coasting. You meet them and you're like, at first, I know, I was like, they're not career driven. Like if they were harder and applied themselves, like they could be in this place. But then when you really think about it, that place they're getting like maybe a couple thousand dollars more and they're so much more tired and miserable. They don't want to get to that place. We just think we want to get to that place because we're taught that that place is you know the place to be and you'll get more praise and it's worth it. But at a certain point, it's not worth it. And so it's seeing that you could score higher, but knowing your pay doesn't change if you do. And for some people, the pay changes if they do. But for a lot of people, they're burning themselves out when they could be You know, they're working at 100%. They could be working at 80% and nothing that bad would happen. They're probably still working to a really high degree.
0: Okay, this is good. I feel like what I'm getting from this is a couple things. One is to be okay with like seasons, in your life and your work. And maybe there's a season where you're like, okay, I've been presented with this opportunity. It's like a stretch project for me. If I really, you know, kill it and hustle over the next like quarter, maybe two quarters, I'm going to set myself up for that promotion. And then also knowing that there are seasons where you're like, you know what, my priority right now is like my home life, my kids, like working my relationship with my husband, whatever it is, and just being like, I'm probably gonna get that meets expectations this quarter. And that's okay because I'm exceeding expectations in other parts of my life where I'm putting more energy.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that's such a good point of like if you were getting a score at home, you know, what would your score be there? Or like if you were getting a score for your leisure or how well you're taking care of yourself, what would your score there? And We are measuring based on what's scoring us, but that's not fair because we just, we only have that pressure really in a professional space. Well, actually now online moms have a lot of pressure too to, you know, post and make their life look a certain way so that they get this like fake score there as well socially. But yeah, that's a really good point.
0: It also makes me think of this term that I've been seeing on TikTok and Instagram a lot, and that's quiet quitting. Tell us what that is. Do you recommend it? Is it a good thing? Like, what is it? (laughs)
1: So quiet quitting is when you don't go above and beyond and try to exceed expectations when there's no explicit reward for it and when a lot of times it comes at a personal cost. So it's staying late and being that reliable colleague and being the hero and then feeling worse, having a lower quality of life because of it. And yeah, if your quality of life is suffering because you're going above and beyond, Then yes, I think that you should scale back and see what that looks like and see how that feels. That's when like your identity can become intertwined with your work, and it feels like I am like this is who I am is I am the reliable colleague, I'm the reliable friend, I am the person that is always busy. And when all those things are suddenly gone, you have to reestablish a new identity. Like where does your worth come from if it's not work or achievement or the things that you're currently getting praised for and then the firmer that identity becomes the less a bad day at work impacts you so i do endorse quiet quitting and i feel like i'm always talking to two groups of people like there are the people who are so and i say this with love because i would i am was just depends on the day a part of this group so like high strung and expect so much from themselves that they need the message to relax and just do their best but that they don't need to be like going above and beyond they can just do an average amount of work it's probably still going to be good and still going to be high quality and then there's another group of people who need the opposite message they need pressure applied in order to perform they don't need to be told to relax they probably need the opposite messaging which is like just do it i know you don't want to do it you have to do it go do the thing again that's not the message the high strong people need to hear so there's different groups but overall i went a couple different directions to that quiet quitting know yourself and try it. You can experiment with it and then see how you feel, what the results are, and then you can make a decision on where you want to fall on that scale.
0: Mm, Okay. I feel like I did this when I had had enough at Google and I was like, okay, I'm going to take the next year to set myself up to leave and to do what the fab full time and quiet quitting wasn't a term then, but I was just like, I mean, obviously the stakes were Lower for me to say no because I knew that I wanted to leave. But it honestly felt really empowering to say no to certain things. And like, I would definitely, especially if you're in a place where you're feeling burnout and you're feeling like this is not your number one priority and you want to have energy for other places in your life, like, experiment with saying no because you'll be surprised like you think that you're gonna say no and somebody's gonna hit this red alarm and like sirens are gonna go off in the office and everyone's gonna hate you but like really what ends up happening is nobody cares and like some other chump takes on that extra project that you didn't want
1: yeah absolutely that's so true (laughs) the alarms really feel real but yeah And the more successful people that you meet, the more you realize that they're respected because they respect their time and because they say no so often. What is it? It's the higher you get, the more opportunity you have to drown in a sea of distractions or something like that. There's a lot of distractions disguised as opportunities out there. And the more desirable your time becomes or coveted your time becomes, the more people want a piece of you, the more you're going to have to say no. And you just get used to it.
0: That is so true. It's kind of like a muscle that you flex and grow. And it's like you get more confidence in yourself and saying no once you do it a couple of times.
1: Definitely. And people are always mirroring you. So when you get used to telling people no, you say no, and it's not a big deal. And the other person kind of receives like, oh, they said no, and it's not a big deal. Instead of when you say no, and it feels like a big deal, you're really apologetic about it. It really feels and sounds like you're Taking something from them by saying no because you feel so bad, then they're going to mirror that and they're going to think, yeah, it is kind of messed up that they're Mm -hmm. saying no instead of just, oh, they had to say no.
0: Yeah, that's really good. And then the other thing that I've noticed is that, like, once you start saying no, whether it's in your personal life or work life, like people kind of stop coming to you with their bullshit requests. Because mm-hmm. they know you're going to say no, and like rightfully so. I feel like with me and my husband, he's a little bit more of a people pleaser. And I have noticed that sometimes friends or family will come to him for it's a request for something for both of us to do. But they'll come to him because it's the likelihood that he'll say yes on yeah. our behalf is greater, which yeah. I have to kind of like talk him off the ledge and be like, "No, we don't have time for that. We can't do that." Like you have to politely say no. But yeah, that was just like a reflection that I just had.
1: But yes, let him know. Let him know he's a victim <laughs> to be on on alert.
0: Yeah, but oh that's so true. Do you have some advice for how to prioritize that? Before the pandemic, I feel like self-care was kind of like a buzzword and a useless term. And then after the pandemic, I'm like, oh, no, self-care is so important. It's like essential. But do you have tips for how to prioritize time for that, whether you work in a corporate job or as an entrepreneur? I mean, it, it can be a little bit different when you feel like your business is your baby. And like the more that you put into it, the more that you can get out of it versus a corporate environment, you know, it can feel more like you're trading your time for money. But in both cases, it can feel like self-care is at the bottom of your priority list.
1: Yes, absolutely. So much to possibly say about all of those things. So for self-care, which like I agree. I feel like it was said so often that it kind of just falls on deaf ears now. And so I usually refer to it as personal care just just mm-hmm. so that there's a fresh take on it. I but, like it. <laughs> thanks. Something that I talk about in I do trainings for like groups and corporations and I give them a personal care pyramid and the base of that pyramid. So scratch everything you know about personal care. Cause a lot of people use it as damage control and try to take a bubble bath and drink a glass of wine when it's like way too late and they're already in the red. <laughs> and so on the base of that personal care pyramid are non-negotiables. And those are the usually two to four things that you know, you need every single day, just as a person, just to be functional. This isn't like, Oh, I'll run every day when you've never run before in the morning. Like, Don't do that to yourself and set yourself up for that. Instead, I mean things like coffee is the non-negotiable for me. And if I wake up in the morning and there's not coffee in the house, I'll do whatever it takes to get coffee or caffeine in some way. And that's because that is just such a non-negotiable for me. Same thing goes for I love reading. If I don't have at least an hour to decompress, nobody's talking to me, I'm in a quiet room, and I'm just reading each night, I start to lose the plot. I start to feel like I don't have enough time to recover. So I don't care what happens for the rest of the day. I can have the most chaotic day in between my coffee and having my hour of quiet time each night. But as long as I know that that's there it's like a light at the end of the tunnel. Like anything can happen to me during the day, but I have those things, those kind of touchstones. That's the first level of personal care is knowing what yours is. For some people, I'll give some other common examples. It's getting eight hours of sleep. Like they are not the same person if they don't get enough sleep. That it me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, I don't understand that. And that's why I know it's not a non-negotiable because my sleep is messed up from losing the hour. And so I think I slept maybe six hours last night and I feel fine. Like I can get away with that. My sleep doesn't matter as much to me, but. That coffee or that hour of alone time, that'll really get me. Some people need to eat at a certain interval or they get hangry and it really does impact the quality of their entire day. Some people need their space to be clear or they can't think. It needs to be clean. Some people need to get outside or they need to work out or they need to socialize and have that social connection. Just depends on who you are, but know what those things are and how you can cement that in so that those are non-negotiable for you. And then you can get into the fun stuff, which every weekend I post this kind of outline for a balanced weekend. And it's these three elements and of personal care. It's maintenance, rest and refill and maintenance items. Those are just being a good parent to yourself. That's making sure that your bills are paid. You have food in the fridge. You have laundry, all those kind of boring things that assure you that you are taken care of because it's so easy to let those things get put on the back burner and then all of a sudden like you haven't gotten a haircut in a year gone to the dentist in a year rest genuinely restful items the only time you're resting should not be when you're dead asleep and then refill. And those are kind of the fun, fulfilling items that we reflect on at the end of our life and think those are the things that make life worth living. That's quality time with people and doing the having experiences, making memories, doing things like traveling or taking day trips or something. And so non-negotiables first. And then you look at those maintenance, rest, refill categories and pick out what you end up doing most often in them and try to find ways to incorporate that in a way that isn't overwhelming, but so that it feels like you are still taking care of yourself as the days are passing. Monday through Friday still belong to you and you're doing those things to take care of yourself.
0: I love that. It reminds me of like maslow's hierarchy of needs but it's like hierarchy of needs for your personal care so okay i want to make sure that i'm understanding it correctly so at the base of the pyramid you have your non-negotiables and then from there is it kind of like you're prioritizing based on sort of like the ideal you know nice to have things like the bubble bath or a girl's night or whatever and it's kind of like getting prioritized that way on the pyramid
1: So I usually do non-negotiables and then maintenance, rest, refill are all that second tier. And those are all kind of created equal. Those should all be incorporated pretty evenly. And then at the top of the pyramid, which is like a whole can of worms, so I just didn't label it, but that's lifestyle design. And that is once all of your needs are taken care of, then you can worry about the aspirational items. So lifestyle design is looking at social business, health, personal, lifestyle, those five categories and deciding what's my ideal situation in each of these and what do I want to include to get closer to that situation. So for example, for social, if you wish that you were hosting a dinner with your friends or going to dinner with your friends once a month because you're not connecting with them enough, then it would be getting a group chat together with those friends and setting up the next three months of dinners, non-negotiable with your friends, not literally non-negotiable. I shouldn't use that word twice in different contexts, but setting that up with your friends so that you can get the ball rolling on making your life look like that. But when you're extremely burned out, the reason you start at the bottom of the pyramid, you don't even worry about lifestyle design until you've done everything else is you don't need to worry about having dinner with your friends. If you are not sleeping enough each night, you got to secure the basics first.
0: Okay. That makes perfect sense. And then in terms of making time and making sure that you are doing something for your personal care outside of the baseline, the maintenance, I remember seeing one of your TikTok videos about kind of like almost doing it from like a place of feeling indignant. Can you speak more on that?
1: Yeah. So I just kind of got to this point of being so busy every day and not doing anything that I wanted to do. Technically, I had chosen everything that I was including in my life, but it still, it didn't, it wasn't refreshing. It wasn't, didn't help me recover at all. And so I was like, if I can't spend 30 minutes of my own day on myself, then I have seriously lost control over my life. That's not fair. And you kind of get to this place where like, you're going to do it out of spite because how dare the world we live in not even let us feel like we can have 30 minutes of our own time to do something that we enjoy. And part of it's the world we live in. Part of it is how I was managing myself. That was kind of on me as well. But I had to get to that place of indignant kind of anger to justify spending my time reading a romance book when I have so many other things that I could be getting ahead on or should be doing. I'm very good at shoulding myself. And so if nothing else is motivating you, like telling yourself you want to, you know, have that glamorous lifestyle and and that's not motivating you, try anger. It gets you there.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm gonna try that. So I've been trying to think of things that I can do for my own self-care that are kind of outside of the, you know, traditional like skincare and bubble baths, mostly because I was recently on a trip with my sister. We were in the Maldives and yeah, it was so much fun, but something kind of like blew up with work things and like I handled it, which like needed to be done. But then, like, afterwards, I couldn't stop thinking about it and like troubleshooting. And, you know, well, if this happens, I'll do this. And if this happens, you know, I can reach out to this person. Like, and eventually my sister looks at me and she was like, You need a fucking hobby that does not have to do with your blog. She was like, You need to, because since I, I'm a travel blogger, like even when I'm traveling, like that's all getting monetized on the blog in some way. So even though travel is like one of my biggest passions, it's also, you know, a huge part of my work. And she was like, you need to like knit or something because nobody wants to see that on your Instagram. (laughs) Like it's just for you. So I did, I bought like the yarn and the needles and i'm like okay i'm going to start with a baby hat for my for my cousin's daughter and i bought all the things but i haven't started doing it yet and i'm going to try that advice that you just gave to like carve out the time and be like god damn it if i can't find 30 <laughs> minutes in the evening to like start knitting this hat like what is wrong yeah. with the world
1: yes i love that <laughs> yeah and i feel like that's it's also for people who are so used to sharing their life online, another big piece of my reading is I I love reading, but I'm usually reading like fantasy romance books or romance books or dark romance books, books that I honestly would not want to post about on the internet. <laughs> and it really helps me have something that I love so much that I don't share. Every once in a while, I'll share it. But when you're used to sharing, everything can feel performative, so it's so helpful to have that hobby and that thing that is not productive that you don't share you don't I don't do that for anybody but me that does not benefit anyone. I'm not pulling any value from it that I can then regurgitate and share like that is just for me so like having those secret hobbies and being somebody that other people haven't seen like that's important too,
0: yeah, that's such a good perspective, especially with how much like we overshare online. I mean, not everyone does, but certainly like if you're a blogger, (laughs) if you're an influencer, (laughs) if you have a business and you're sharing, you know, tips and information online, it can just feel like a lot. I Lately, I've been feeling like I just want to... I have been deleting Instagram from my phone every once in a while. It's only for like, you know, at most 48 hours at a time because obviously it's an important part of my business. But I just feel so sick of it sometimes.
1: Yeah. It's a whole other type of kind of... I don't want to call it digital burnout, but I guess that works too. But there are a lot of people whose entire life is just online now and they're maintaining a social persona as well as their actual personal life. And they're completely different things. And you forget that that whole personal life, like real world is out there when somebody made a really interesting point of like, there's this kind of topic going around of third places and how people used to have a third place. So there was home and work and then somewhere else that you went like a bar you frequented, maybe you went and did rollerblading churches used to be bigger. There used to be a communal space People just used to go have another place to be that wasn't extremely costly where they could spend time like a park or something. And nowadays we don't have that. And especially with the pandemic, most people's third places shut down or became, you know, order out only or things like that. And so now people's third place is being online. And that really is where we go to socialize and to connect. So we're even more dependent on it. And so it feels like it's real life, which it not to say is isn't real life, but whatever happens on my phone does not impact my actual day-to-day life. Like I could throw my phone into a lake, very little in my actual life would change. I would still wake up, do my work. And I've kind of made a shift because I wanted my work to not just depends on me being online. And that's a whole other topic of like feeling like you have to be likable in order to have an income, which, you know, online world stuff. But then I just do my work day, talk to my husband and then read my books and talk to you know talk to my family and nothing really changes so i get the the when people say the internet's not a real thing like yes all of it exists in this context of the internet but if you were to leave your phone somewhere for a week the whole rest of the world still exists and very little would actually probably change
0: Okay, you know I am all about time-saving hacks, and I have to tell you guys about my latest discovery, Sunbasket Meal Delivery Service. I've been using them for months now, and they are hands down the best meal delivery I have ever tried, and I have tried a lot. (laughs) Their meals are ready to go. You can just microwave them or pop them in the oven. I don't know about you, but if I'm paying for a meal delivery, I'm not trying to get a kit that also requires me to spend time having to cook the meal and chop stuff like some other services no thank you. So it's delivered weekly. If you want, you can always skip. It's ready to go. All of their ingredients are organic. And seriously, the meals have been so delicious. I just had this insane Chile Verde enchilada pie with braised pork last night. Oh my God, I'm drooling just thinking about it. And each week you get to pick your menu and I order six. So that's meals for both me and Omid three nights out of the week. And I usually opt for meals that are under 600 calories. And like I said, everything has been so good. And there's a new menu to choose from every week. We haven't had a repeat menu item yet. And I have a great discount link for you to give them a try. You'll get $90 off your first few deliveries, bringing each meal to 6 bucks a meal. This is a no-brainer, you guys. So just go to whatthefab.com sunbasket and use my referral link there. I mean, you're going to pay that much at least for groceries, but with Sunbasket, you don't even have to cook, so you might as well be efficient about it. Make weeknight dinners a delicious breeze with Sunbasket. Go to whatthefab.com. Slash sunbasket to get $90 off. I love that you brought up this topic of third places. It was actually something that I meant to ask you about because someone recently mentioned it to me and I had this realization. I was like, I don't even have a second place because I work yeah. from home. I feel like after the pandemic and like going through the lockdown and then like being so isolated, it has kind of normalized for me not leaving my house for a week. And like, sometimes I'll look up and be like, oh, and like, it doesn't in the moment, it doesn't feel bad or isolating or lonely. I'll just kind of have this realization where I'm like, oh, I haven't left the house for a week. I mean, I've gone outside for like walks, you know, I work out outside, like I get fresh air, but I don't like go out and socialize and see people like I get my groceries delivered. How detrimental do you think that is for my mental health?
1: You know, it's not great for anyone. (laughs) I think (laughs) nowadays to have so few various touch points just because we're social creatures and it's so reassuring to go out and be around other people. And especially when for a lot of periods of time over the last couple of years, it's easy to doom scroll. There's so much bad news on all the time. And so to just get That information, it really makes our nervous system just kind of anxious and feel like, oh my gosh, there's just bad things going on. Whereas if you then go to the grocery store and you are around other people who are calm and who are just like living in the same world you are, then it's like, oh, they're calm. So I can be calm. Like this, things are actually okay. We like, we regulate socially, even though it feels like we should be regulating. In a more isolated way. And we've kind of lost that. We've lost like being able to socially regulate, or like when I was working on a team and we would have stressful projects. It's like when you look to the flight attendant, like you look to your colleagues, like, should I be stressed? And it's like, if I were at home alone working on this, I would be so stressed. But instead, I see that they're like, no, it's just another day of work. We're just going to do one thing at a time. And then it re regulates you. So we're losing a lot. We've lost a lot of that.
0: Oh, that's such a good point. And I'm now having these other reflections of just kind of other sort of leftover impacts from the pandemic like for example I used to go to Barry's boot camp and like I'd see the same you know my favorite trainers I'd see some of the same like people working out like have little conversations I'd go to my bar class same thing I work out at home now I work out with my trainer virtually it's all like over a laptop and it's great for convenience because I just like you know fire up my laptop at 5 30 Monday, Wednesday, and I'm always getting those workouts and I have zero excuse, but I'm not getting any like actual social interaction.
1: Mhm. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of people it's become overwhelming for them to go out and reintegrate into how much they were socializing before. I know I look back at my old schedule and I'm like, "How in the world did I do that for so many years?" Like I my commute was so I would wake up at like six something. I would walk a mile through downtown Chicago in the freezing temperatures to the, a mile to the train and then take a train ride. That was like a little bit more than an hour. And then I would get off the train, take a bus to work, work a full day, get back on the bus to the train, take the train back to the city. I would have to sprint in order to make it on time, another mile to get to my night classes. And then I would have night classes then to, from six to eight 30. And then the classes would end. And then I would walk Home to a, another mile back to my apartment, and then I would need to do like whatever I still needed to do for the day, like have dinner if there was any reading that I didn't get to or homework I needed to get to, and then just like pick out my clothes for the next day of work and take it from the top because you had to go into work physically Monday through Friday, and I had in person night classes and now like I don't know if I just got weaker over time, but I could not imagine doing that again,
0: right, yeah, it's such a shift in some of it, kind of feels insidious. <laughs> like like you don't really realize it until, I mean, this is like years later that I'm like, oh shit, yeah. <laughs> I'm not like leaving the house nearly as much. I feel like I've also become, my husband and I have become like more attached and like dependent on each other after, you know, going through the lockdown and pandemic together because obviously before the pandemic, we'd be apart from each other for eight or nine hours a day, Monday through Friday. And now he goes into the office like maybe three days a week, sometimes four. And I'm like, I miss you so much. Like, it's so quiet. (laughs) This is so weird. Like, and then I'm like, we used to see each other way less. And I didn't even like bat an eye. Like, it's it's just a very strange like shift.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Is that something that you feel like a lot of people have brought up to you of just also having this not third place or how did that conversation come up for you?
0: Yeah, it was something that my cousin mentioned and we were talking about it and she was yeah saying she felt like she didn't really have a third place. And that was when I had the realization that I don't even have a second place. And we were like, wow, like this, you know, I mean, it makes a lot of sense.
1: Definitely. Digital. I mean, there's so many wonderful things that have come from the internet. And also like, I don't know if you saw the show on Netflix the social that's not no the social dilemma I think that's a totally different is that the I think that might be the movie about Facebook no I don't yeah. know what, what it's called what's that documentary on Netflix that came out about how the internet is developing at such a fast rate but our brains are still so primitive and we we just can't handle this level of input like the yeah. things that are coming out are too Addictive, and the, we're we've got some of the smartest people creating the most addictive technology, while we're depriving people of any other social connection. And like, it's just the perfect storm of people living their whole lives online and neglecting their real life in person.
0: Yes, yeah, they definitely did talk about that in the social dilemma, and then they got into how Facebook is tearing at the fabric of our democracy as well. Amazing, But yeah, I mean, it it makes a lot of sense. And I I think that's like why I've gotten to this point where even though social media is such an important part of my job, I also like sometimes get to a point where I hate it. Like I'm like, if my phone lights up one more time, I will lose my shit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. There's no regulation for it. It completely comes down to you and like your boundaries with your device yes. and that's a lot to expect of like a teenager or somebody whose you know brain isn't fully developed to be able to regulate this dopamine machine.
0: Yeah, 100%. Also kind of going back to pandemic times, I stalked your LinkedIn and it looks like you started doing burnout management coaching in the summer of 2019 and then we all know what happened in 2020. So were there kind of like certain shifts that you saw, like different conversations happening around burnout, especially with like those blurred lines when everybody's working from home and also people kind of having time to sit back and think. And, you know, I mean, we saw like the great resignation and everything. What shifts were you seeing?
1: So many shifts. I mean, who could have thought that that was what was coming for us? But I think before the pandemic, there was kind of this sense that, Burnout is reserved for people who are working, you know, 12 hour shifts in healthcare or consultants working 100 hour weeks. What other examples do I try to give? Like accountants during tax season, like we thought burnout was for these people and these people only. And then the pandemic happened and everybody just got so much closer to burnout and their likelihood of burning out got so much higher because Everybody's kind of baseline of stress rose. There was so much uncertainty, there was so much just general stress and unpredictability. So post pandemic then a lot of the shift I see is between two groups. One is the super high achievers who are in really high stress roles and so they're just very very deeply overwhelmed. And then there's the people who shifted to a work from home situation where They either still put way too much pressure on themselves and they could take a lot of pressure off or maybe they worked at a job before that was really high stress and now they're in a lower stress job and they just, just like there are growing pains, there are shrinking pains. There's like those shrinking pains of them toning down their work and how they've always worked a little bit. And then there's people who have the potential to burn out by just boredom because they can kind of tune out so often that they're not engaged. And being disengaged for an extended period of time then leads to that sensation of dissatisfaction and checking out and kind of being on autopilot in your life. And so then those people burn out and they have to do different types of things in order to alleviate that and feel engaged in their life again. But I think that it's you, you see most of those groups and the people who like post pandemic.
0: Mm, yeah, that makes sense. I can't remember if this was a, a video that I saw on your channel or maybe somewhere else when I was scrolling Instagram, but it was a woman from Spain and she was talking about how, was this your channel?
1: I think I posted her TikTok or yeah, something Yeah, okay, like
0: that. okay. So she was talking about how in America, during that Monday through Friday period, like we're pretty much just like work and home life. And then versus in Spain, culturally, you're going out like, every single night and like seeing your friends and family and whatever. When I saw that video, I was like, that sounds exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even imagine like going out every, like just after the pandemic, I feel like it just requires so much more effort for me to like get up, get dressed, plan something, go out. It just sounds exhausting. So maybe I just need to kind of like plan something at least once a week to like get myself out of the house like maybe on a Wednesday so I have something to kind of look forward to in the middle of the week rather than just like during the weekend is when I'm going to go out and do fun things.
1: Yeah. We definitely adapt. Like we're resilient and we don't realize how resilient we are until we're in that circumstance like when you think of, you know, your hardest season of work it's like how in the world did I do that? But if you were thrown into that again, you would be able to adapt to it. We just like when we think about it from afar when we're not in that situation we're like wow I really don't think I would want to do that ever again. Mm-hmm. So same thing with the people you know who are in cultures where that's normal and you know you can just walk to pick your kid up and then walk to the park with your other friends and get a cappuccino while your kid plays and then you walk to the grocery store get ingredients for dinner and go home and like maybe on a piece of public transportation. We just lived very separate individualistic lives here. And so people don't have a village. People don't have easy access to the type of lifestyle that she was describing where you are. There are so many different points of connection. It's just an entirely different culture and life doing those things in America would be overwhelming because that's a lot of different places. You'd basically be driving around to all these different places, trying to include these things. Everybody's so busy. Everybody's schedule would need to align. It would be hard to do here.
0: Right. Yeah. That's a really good point. I think it's easy to kind of like blow off the aspect or like concept of community and how important it is, but like all the research indicates that that is like one of the number one drivers for like health and happiness. Like I was just listening to an Andrew Huberman episode about happiness and he just like kept coming back to like that aspect of social connection and community. When you look at like the blue zones where everybody is like living past 100, living their best lives, like they have community. It's just like the data doesn't lie.
1: Yes, definitely. And they usually also have simplicity. And there isn't this, I don't want to call it a capitalist mindset, but this kind of like, I should be doing more all the time so I can get like more status or more power, more money or more something. Like we should ourselves so much. It's never simple. We can't just relax and enjoy the simple things in life or it feels like we can't or if we do it's like this big tremendous feat where it's like I wasn't on my phone all weekend and <laughs> I like actually went to the store and picked out the vegetables or the groceries that I was going to eat that night and I went on a walk it's like we need to be doing these things all the time why why is it this huge momentous thing when we do I think it just speaks to how out of touch with the basics we are
0: yeah absolutely absolutely Oh my gosh. Well, Emily, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I got so many gems out of it. I know that listeners will too. I would love for you to share where everyone can find you, where they can connect with you, and then also what resources you have available for people. And if you you kind of hinted at working at your working on your book, but anything you've got coming up that you're excited about.
1: So I am on Instagram and TikTok, and my handle on there is Emily B Ruth. And then linked on both of those is I just have a website and an email list if you like personal, professional development. And then I have a course which goes over those five areas of burnout management, time management, stress management, boundaries, personal care mindset, if you want to learn more about those in a course format. And then I have a training if you're part of a group or an organization that you think would benefit from burnout management. And then I'm working on a book, but that won't come out until next year. So just know that's in the future.
0: Awesome. I love it. Well, I will definitely be buying the book and reading it. I can't wait.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: All right. Thanks so much, Emily. Oh, did I tell you or did I tell you? Emily is A wealth of knowledge on this topic. I'm so glad that I came across her Instagram when I was desperately searching for insights and advice around the concept and the topic of burnout. It is such a meaty concept, such a meaty topic, and it can present itself so differently. It's kind of, I don't know if it's like taboo, but I do feel like especially if you have a good job, if you're doing well, if your business is doing well, I could almost kind of feel shameful to be experiencing burnout. So it's not necessarily as widely talked about. And I love that she's just like shining a light on it and also sharing such great insights, data, advice, advice, actions that you can take. And so I hope that you enjoyed this episode and got some serious value out of it. If you did, I would love it if you could take a screenshot, share it, tag me and Emily. Emily is at Emily B Ruth, and I'm at WTFab. And let us know what your biggest takeaway was from this episode. Don't forget to hit subscribe so we keep in touch and you get these episodes queued up and ready to go for you each and every week. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll chat soon.